Hello, everyone. Welcome to Genealogy Adventures. I'm Brian Sheffy. And I'm Donya Williams. How are you guys doing today? I hope you are enjoying your Sunday. And as always, thank you for spending the next hour with us. So we've got a great show for you today. We are doing another book club. Yes, it's book report time. Yes, it is. <laughs> um, thank you again so much for your feedback on the first one. Uh, it was so enthusiastic. It's why we decided to do, to do another one. To Most do another definitely. one. Um, before we get into things, I just wanted to share a couple of research resources that I've discovered over the last couple of weeks. So Alabama and Mississippi, it turns out, have a lot more records digitally available online for free than even I realized. That's awesome. And they are hiding, well, at least most of them are hiding in family search. So I know you go to family search and you do the main kind of search function. Don't do that because none of these resources will actually show up in that search. You have to actually go, so instead of doing the broad kind of search, you actually go, there's a little feature in Family Search. You can search by catalog, click mm -hmm. on that, type in the place name that you're looking for, so either a state level or a city or a county. Type that in, it, it'll have a little drop down menu, select the place you want to search, and it will show you everything that's cataloged. Oh, wow, okay. Underneath that place. So I've been finding things like probate records, voter registration records. It is awesome. Also, if you're researching in Alabama and Tuscaloosa specifically, there is a website called the Seventh Floor Records Project. Google it. It's called the Seventh Floor Records Project, and it has the most amazing record collection, literally collected off the seventh floor of the Tuscaloosa Courthouse, and they digitized everything. That's so funny because Texas has a seventh floor type of museum too that's really? dedicated to John F. Kennedy. Yes. What is it about seven and, floors? I don't know. <laughs> well seven is a is, is a spiritual number. It is indeed. So I don't mm -hmm. know. But yeah, they, they have that whole um dedication. Um and and in that it's not necessarily records, um, but actual actual oral history. Oh, okay. So Opal Mm -hmm. The one of our family members, she's actually recorded in there. Oh, brilliant! Yeah, she's in. She's recorded in there. So there are more records for Alabama and Mississippi than even I realized. And I've come across a really interesting circumstance with the 1870 census. So you guys who've been listening to Donnie and I for years and years huh. know that we will always yeah, say, <laughs> if you want to try to find a probable lost enslaver for your ancestor who's on the 1870 census, we, what do we say? We say, look for the white The first land. white person who's <clears throat> owning land. Well, I'm researching in a county in South Carolina in Gullah Geechee land where that's not possible. <clears throat> so, and I realized that this is applicable throughout the whole Gullah Geechee corridor. So from South Carolina all the way down to Florida. So I'm trying to find the white landowner in Georgetown County, South Carolina, right. specifically in Waccamaw. Mm -hmm. And I'm going through page after page after page of black people, black families on the, on the land. And I couldn't work out where one landowner started and one ended because there were no white people. Then I realized that the handful of white people that were showing up were overseers. That's crazy. So it's worth remembering that a lot of the Gullah Geechee enslavers, they were living in Charleston. Or they were living; they weren't living permanently on the islands where they were enslaving people. They were going to the cities. That's crazy. Because you know they were they were afraid of yellow fever and right. it didn't matter for us or our folk, no we but didn't. for yeah. them they yeah. were afraid of yellow fever and typhus. So they wanted to get out from those circumstances, especially during the summer. So they're either going to cities 
or they're going to North Carolina up into the mountains to get away from the heat, the typhus, and the yellow fever. So that's my that is my tip for today. You still scroll up, still scroll up, still until look you for find it. a white person. But if you can't, and nine times out of ten, that person you can kind of tell that they're the overseer because they don't have a valuation of land next to their name, but right. they have personal property. Gotcha. Okay, I see what you're saying. And then I go into Google. I go into Google Books. And I type in their name in like Waccamaw or Georgetown County, and it's like, oh, so and so was so and so's overseer. Oh, then the light dawned. I can track land property by knowing who was the overseer, the overseer for, which for which family, family and right. then I can start matching the black families to the overseer. So that's not in Edgefield, though. That was Georgetown, South Carolina. That's and- Georgetown and pretty much all up and down. Because I started going back to like um, Glynn County, uh, St. Simons Island in Georgia. I started going through all of those, and it's just like, yeah, there's just page after page of black and mulatto families. Where are all the white people? Hmm. Okay. So that that's my tip. If you ever come across that, you're going to have to research the o- possible overseer to see who that overseer worked for, then pull the enslaver's land documents right. to figure out how many acres they have, and then start mapping out all of those black families that were left behind. Right. Um, so that that's my tip for you. That, right. But that was really interesting. Haven't come across that before. And with that housekeeping, sorry for the doorbell. Um, <laughs> we like keeping it live here. That's all, <laughs> that, that's all I've got. Um, so let's get into the, the book club part. Yeah. So I'm going to start by asking you what it, and I'm going to ask everyone if you can like, love to put your comments because we'd love to obviously get your input into your overall impressions of the book. How, how was reading the book? Well, I'm going to be honest with y'all. I was reading it, and there was just some areas that I had to skip. And um, I'm not ready. So I, I told I told you guys before that the one time that I had a, um, a issue as far as research was concerned was the endogamy. It grossed me out. Endogamy just completely grossed me out. Okay, so this is the second one. It was very graphic. Um, it was totally different from House of Bondage. Because House of Bondage was graphic. But I don't know. It was something about this particular book. I think it's because of the fact that these people are possibly related to me. And I do not want to know what happened to them. I thought I did. Yeah. But I, I don't. I don't want to know what happened. I don't want to get into the whole story of them and finding out that little Mary was my my something. Like me. a cousin or Co- great I don't aunt care. Cousin, what, great whatever. aunt, mm-hmm. grandma. God forbid she's a grand. Like, yeah. I mean, just any. She's something. That she was something to me. That for that short period of time, she was like, well, I'm free because I'm three. That's what she said. I'm free. Did you know I'm free? That there are free people and and non-free people. And the other lady wouldn't say anything. She just kind of let it go. And she was like, well, I'm free. Did you know? Mm. But later on, baby, you're not going to be free. And that's rough because we know that the reality of her situation isn't yes. going to hit for another couple of years. It's not going to hit for... And, and, and then when it put, does... And she's going to be forcibly put in her place. And when it does, see, that's, how, that's how the beatings come. 
That's how that, because she's looking at you like, wait a minute. No, 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 I'm free. That's her thought process. So I'm, I'm not ready. And I know I have to get ready because we do have some mm-hmm. people we need to look at like that. Hammond, he's that one. He's the one that scares me. He's the one. Um, and like we were talking in the car, I, I don't think any of our enslaved people lived in squalor. Like, not in Edgefield. Not in Edgefield. Um, I don't think they lived in squalor like these folks did. Um, I really don't. I've never, because when we were talking, we've never really thought about anybody actually calling someone out in that manner. Mm. And even, and I didn't say this to you, even in the tours in Edgefield, um, they, they don't, they don't call it out either. No. When they talk about the tours mm-hmm. or when they talk about different things, you know, they, they're not saying that they're good people, quote unquote, but they're not taking them to the, the lens of what this book has done. Kind of like what we were saying. We know that our ancestors in the old 96 South Carolina were work hard. Yes. But never get the sense that they lived in abject squalor. Right. Or right. that they were just abandoned. Or that they were hungry or that uh-huh. they were neglected. In, in neglected in that way, in in that that way. way. Yeah. I want to be clear on, on how I'm saying that so mm-hmm. oh we have someone from England oh wow hi <laughs> I'm from England <laughs> Annie, Annie Patrice mm-hmm. that's my sister's middle name Patrice <laughs> <laughs> I guess and as I said before this is a very different, different kind of book from Charlotte Brooks and the House of Bondage oh, written God, by, yes. by Octavia Rogers I can't, Albert, Albert. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, because you just get little snippets of those people's lives where this whole book is concentrated on one group of people in one specific place right. over, over a period of time. Right. It's also difficult because I already kind of started to feel an affinity with these people because I've been researching them for so long before yeah. I even opened this book. Yeah, I knew that was hard. Um, so it was giving me snippets of stories about people that I'd already come to like love and respect yeah. and, and know. And the, again, the horror of it is knowing what's next right? for these group of people. Cause you know, and they don't know, and, and you're have... sitting here reading their story and listening and they don't even know what's about to happen. Uh-huh. And it's, 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 and when I say about to happen, we're probably talking about five years right? in the future. So someone asked, um, what is the name of the book again? So I'm just going to go ahead and tell them. It's the Journal of a Residence on a Georgian Plantation in 1838 to 1839. So to give you a little backstory about this book, it's written by a woman called Fanny Campbell and is composed of a whole series of letters that she was writing to a friend of hers back in England with the name E. We don't we never know who E is. She never sent the letters either. And she never sent them. I think this was like a catharsis for her because mm-hmm. she was so horrified by what she was seeing and mm-hmm. experienced. She had to do something with it. So I want to say one thing because I meant to mm-hmm. say this to you. Did you catch her last name? Campbell. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. You get that, right? I, I get it. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we have Campbell connections. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that that was very interesting. So the plantation that she's talking about is the, the Butler Plantation down in the island in Georgia. Now the Butler family were what you would call absentee enslavers. They had massive properties in South Carolina and Georgia, but they preferred living in Philly. 
that's where they considered their main residence. That's what you were talking about just earlier when you were talking about mm-hmm. the 70s. Okay, go ahead. So Fanny meets Pierce Meese Butler in Philly. They have a whirlwind romance. She's an English actress. He's got a lot of money at that time because he hadn't squandered it yet. So it's a whirlwind romance. She starts bugging him about, I want to see your plantation. I want to see for myself what slavery looks like. And he, from what I understand, tried to forestall that. And she insisted, and he relented, and now we get the book. And this is is her experience. And there was one passage which Donnie is going to read, and we're both going to talk about. Um, so, uh, Randy Simon Surrey said, I've worked in animal rescue. Seeing what people do now to dogs and cats and is a window into how people obviously treated other people they owned. Absolutely. Yeah, but see, she, I, and I know she doesn't mean anything by this, but she literally compared those people to, to animals, animals mm-hmm. which was what was done. And I know, Randy, you don't mean anything by, you don't call it cause any offense to it but that's the that's the first thought that would come you know mm-hmm. well it came to me so and you get this throughout the whole and you get that throughout, throughout the whole the book. book it's 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 just it's i i'm not ready i'm not ready mm-hmm. so let's not do hammond anytime soon because <laughs> when, you're, when you're ready but afiba if you can go to page 15 that's the bit that you're going to read um the bit that Donnie is going to read now and that we're going to that we're going to discuss, this let me know that Fanny was for real. She was like she was going to keep this book a hundred percent and that she wasn't going to hold back. And this just gave me the utmost respect. So as Donnie is reading this, I just want everyone. Which looking... one on fifteen? That was on page fourteen. I've got that on fifteen. You talking um, about? Now it appears every. Now it appears very evident. This one. Yeah. You talking about that? Mm-hmm. Okay, that's 14. Well, well, my thing is 14. Oh, that's right. We've got different versions. Yeah. <laughs> we have to be careful of that's that. That's what it is. So right before Donya reads this, I just want everyone to look at my face in particular. The reason why I look like this, it's the reason why my whole family looks, my whole immediate family looks like this, and we have the complexion that we have and the freckles and the red hair, is because of what Donya is about to read to you. Okay, so I should think the intermarrying between blacks and whites, a matter to be as little insisted if repugnant as prevented if agreeable to the majority of the two races. At the same time, I cannot help being astonished at the furious and ungoverned excretion which all reference to the possibilities of a fusion of the races drawn da- draws down upon those who suggest it because nobody pretends to deny that throughout the South, a large proportion of the population is the offspring of white men and colored men. Hey, Afiba, the you- door is open. Um, of white men and colored men and colored women. So, Look at Brian. Because <laughs> in my enslaved lines, every single one of my enslaved lines ends with a white man having children. Mostly. Sorry, there are a few. On my freed side of the family, there are white men and, and black and mulatto men. My enslaved lines end in a white man having children with his enslaved women. Hmm. Every single one of them. There is not one so far 
but that has not happened. So that's and the thing is, this. is that, that but but that's the same for me too. Mm-hmm. So even though I don't have the same complexion as you do, my line always goes back to a mm-hmm. white man. Or, well, right now everything is going back to a white man. I don't have a white woman in my line as of yet, yeah. but I do have white men. Mm-hmm. Settles, Holloway, Brooks. Um, Petersons, Brooks. Brooks, possibly Elder. <laughs> possibly. Yeah, Yaya just found out she's related in Edgefield somewhere. Okay. Yeah. But Pe- Peterson's <laughs> but another Peterson's one. But Peterson's is Holloway. Ha- yeah, Harling. I said Holloway. Ma- Harling, Matthews. Matthews all of them. Dorn, all of them. Oots, Timmons, they all Ed. come from a white man. Mm-hmm. They all somehow. I just didn't get the complexion, but y'all ain't seen my granddaddy. That's black <laughs> news. This is true. <laughs> He's a dark <doc laughs> news. <laughs> So, so that really resonated with me, and I, I just knew that she was keeping it for real, 100%. Without a doubt, without a doubt. But it was one other one, and I don't think you have this one. This was the one that was closer up, where, unless you want to wait to talk about... Um, the pages are coinciding with what you have? They're not necessarily coinciding, because we have different versions. Oh, okay. So it's going to be kind of difficult. I think it's a, it's one page off. Yeah, it might be one page off. So you this see- is page, on mine is 12, that I'm getting ready to talk about. Um, but, so, with this one, she says, Why, if one individual rarely gifted by heaven were to raise himself out of such a sloth of despond, he would be a miracle. And what would, his, what would be his reward? Why, would he be admitted to an equal share in your political rights? Would he ever be allowed to cross the threshold of your doors? Would any of you give your daughter to his son or your son to his daughter? Would you in any one particular admit him to the footing of equality which any man with a white skin would claim? Whose ability and worth had so raised him from the lower degrees of the social scale? That's today. It is today. This is what's going on right now. This is what's happening at this very moment. We're fighting for our rights. And we have been fighting for our rights since she... That's it. Forever. You can't... You know, this is 1838. 1839 that these letters were written and that sounds like 2021. And remember this is an English woman who had only been in this country for a hot minute and she gets it. Yeah. She got it immediately. Yeah she got it immediately and and, and it was amazing because when I read that I was like oh she's not playing. So the other paragraph would let you know this was the one that let me know oh she 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 not playing. Because mm. it make you look at the book again like who wrote these letters? <laughs> And you're just looking at it like, okay, so, yeah, but I don't know. I mean, I, we, we want to keep you guys, I hope you guys, I see somebody else ask the same question. It's the journal of, what's it called? The journal of a resident. So I'll, I'll type the name in, into the, into this. Well, it's also, it's the, it's the name of the show. Yeah, so it's you, the name if, of the show. So if you click on event, on um, today's event, it, it is the book. It it's is the, the book. The book titles. That's right, that. it is. So going into something more uh, gets, there's a lot of, anyone who's researching the, these families held by Major Pierce Butler, his in-laws, and his grandsons, you know, we're reading this in a very different way. So 
uh, a FIBA, it's my page 18, which would be page 18 on the PDF. Um, there's a wonderful passage talking about how this plantation was split into settlements. Now, the white people called them settlements and villages. The black people called them camps. Mm -hmm. So the black test telling me that the black folk were keeping things 100 and completely for real. Because there are descriptions of this settlement, and I, if it was a village, I, I mean, I wouldn't even want to live there. I wouldn't a, live in a village as a camp. If that's the case, then it's it's the slum, it's the it's the ghetto, y'all. So things like you know, on page eighteen, it's going. There are four settlements or villages, or as the Negroes called them, camps on the island, consisting from ten to twenty houses, and to each settlement is annexed a cook shop with a with a capacious cauldrons and the oldest wife of the settlement. You don't even get retirement. Mm -mm. You're old, and they still work. And there. you still work. You work for your neighborhood. And the oldest wife of the settlement for officiating priestess. So one thing that Fanny seems to enjoy doing is every day she goes out for a walk with a young man called Jack. We're the group that's researching this people, we're still trying to figure out who Jack is. Uh, we're not entirely sure. But she thinks a lot about Jack. She that, does. That, that comes through, and you kind of get the feeling that she's really gutted that, that he's enslaved. Yeah, and it the, bothers her. It really does. It, there's quite a few people that she talks about where you can really tell that this grates on her. And in the end, this really does have a detrimental effect to her marriage. As you're reading through this book, even though she never really calls her husband out, you get the feeling at different stages that her opinion of him is beginning to change. Yeah. Like she's like, wait a minute. You can't tell me that because you're in Philadelphia that you're not a part of this. You are a part of this, whether you're here in Georgia or up there in Philadelphia. Right. This is all on you. And you're allowing this crap to happen. Um, but again, on page 18, it's this kind of all of these passages about the environment that these people were living in, mm -hmm. how it was organized, how it was arranged. That's, it's not this page, but at some point she's saying that there's like two families per cabin. They could have as many as 20 people. Right. You think 20 people crammed into... It, you, into a two. Yeah. And it's like the... the. It made me, when I read that part, it made me think of the um, African American Museum and how they have a slave cabin inside the African American Museum. And it's a one-room thing. So mm -hmm. when she did that, and I think this is another reason why it was just so difficult for me because I began to picture it. I didn't even picture it in in um, in, in in the African American Museum. No, that's true. You I didn't I, I didn't picture it there, but she gave a vivid account of actually what was going on and what was in that room. So immediately, I was like, "Oh my God, I'm not ready." <laughs> and the other thing is with these settlements, and there's a woman called Missy uh, who's part of doing different research but for the same group of people um she and i think that there were more than four settlements we think there were four kind of official settlements and then there were smaller settlements mm -hmm. that that were scattered around but because fanny actually spends so much time just talking about the different settlements and giving us an idea of who's living in each one mm -hmm. we're trying to actually find the paperwork there must be a list somewhere within, within, the, within the later Butler family papers saying who was living in each settlement. It has to be. Which would help our research enormously. Because we have a lot of people with the same name. So if we can limit three psyches and a couple of sacks and some dinas to settlement one, 
rather than having to break a brick wall of 15 of you could have as many as 15 people with the same name yeah but they're scattered amongst these different settlements so that's that's one approach to kind of making this an easier group of people to research um she's going on about the stench was there um, a next one that you wanted to let me see where's oh i when you said the stench that made me think of little baby mary little baby mary she was you know she i don't know i it's just it's so difficult it's the one about um I think the thing that also got to me, and you were speaking about this in the top of the show, was the nakedness of the children. Because yes. she continually goes on about the yes. nakedness of the children, the dirtiness of the children. Yeah. I'm reading about how, this is page 24. You don't have to pull this up, Aviva. Um, on page 24, she's talking about this leads to just a lack of self-respect. You know, if you're going to be treated like an animal, at some point you are going to start not having the self-respect to stand up for yourself to say i am not an animal and then as you know as she went through the infirmary and she started trying to clean up one of the infirmaries and they laughed at her Mm -hmm. they were like what you doing that for it's gonna be dirty anyway and what was what was the condition of the infirmary they were sleeping on mattresses mattresses made out of moss yeah on the the floor with filthy blankets with filthy blankets i mean when i tell y'all these people the way i mean if if you haven't read the book, I'm telling you, you you got to be ready. You know, you really have to prepare yourself for this. And another kind of genealogically useful bit in a FIBA, if you can go to my page 24. Um, so to give you a, kind of a contrast in how she talks about people. So in this instance, she's talking about a young man called Alec. And you know who Alec is. Yes. He is actually the son of Roswell King, who is an, was an overseer, became an enslaver himself, had a very long relationship with the, um, the Butler family. So, but this actually helped us put some pieces together. Um, so she starts, one of them, the eldest son of our laundry woman and mm-hmm. Mary's brother. Well, I knew who Mary was. That was the baby. I knew who Mary's mother was, but we didn't know who Alec was. So that one sentence saying that he was Mary's brother and the laundress woman's son. You now could connect it. You knew it. exactly who Oh, I know was. you guys lost it when you were able to do that. Oh, absolutely. And do you know wow. our cousin Scott, Scott W? Yeah. That's his family. Alec is his oh, family. Oh. That's his, dude, these are his people. See, that's what I don't want to know. <laughs> These are his people. One of them, the eldest son of our laundry woman and Mary's brother, a boy by the name of Alec, short for Alexander, is uncommonly bright and intelligent. He performs all the offices of a well-instructed waiter with great efficiency and anywhere out, out of slave land would be able to earn 14 or $15 a month for himself. Remember, this is the 1850s, so that was a fair bit of money. He is remarkably good-tempered and well-disposed. And then she goes on to talk about, I can't remember who, who she's talking about at this point, but the other boy is so stupid that he appears sullen from absolute it's darkness. It's her other of, son. Of absolute dark. Oh, that's right. It is her it's other It's the son. other son. Of absolute darkness <sighs> of intellect. Um, so she basically calls Scott's family, one son is stupid and the other one is 
But if I remember correctly, that's because the two boys had very different jobs. So one is clearly working in the house where the other one was working in the fields. And that's the, that's the difference between the two of them. But then she goes to talk about the family. I should tell you that Alex's parents, and remember, these are people I've been researching for a while, for a while before I actually came Very across it. So this, for me, in the research group, is almost like mini-portraits. This is the only way we're going to get a sense of character, personality, what they looked like. It's like the Peterson letter that we got after we did the research mm. and mm-hmm. figured out everything was right. And that letter kind of just... Con- Confirmed it, and that's what this is what you guys are doing. So, I should tell you that Alex's parents and kindred have always been about the house of the overseer. That was a polite that she didn't know at this point that Roswell King was actually daddy. At this point, she does later on in the book because remember, she's saying to her husband Pierce, Why do all of these yellow skinned kids look an awful lot like? Roswell King. She got that from the beginning. She and caught that. he's like, well, there's a reason for that, but we're gentlemen and you're a lady and we don't discuss those things. Was more or less Mr. Butler's response to that. Um, this book gives me just arrows. But again, talking about the, this family and in daily habits of intercourse with him, the overseer and his wife, and whenever this is the case the effect of involuntary education is evident in the improved intelligence of this degraded race. So she's saying, if you invest in these people, they'll run with it. Of look course what, we will. Look at what they're capable of look doing. Look at what but they can do. She's saying this back in the 1850s yeah. to an audience that really didn't want to hear this message. Yeah. And it's the same thing that's now. That's now. These are the things that we're fighting about. They don't want us to know our history. Guys, you got to realize, and this is something that Brian said in the car, the books that are in our reading room, they want to delete them. Oh, I'm telling you right now, the GOP, <laughs> if they get their way, they will delete all they books wanna take them like out. this. They want to take them out. This is all critical race theory to them. Mm-hmm. This is what teaches it. Well, no, because they're going to use the argument, this is what makes Americans this hate is, each yeah, other. Yeah, this is what it, makes people hate each other. And this did not make me hate. It just makes me sad. sad. That's what it does. I'm not hating anybody. Mm-hmm. I'm sad. I'm sad that they went through this. I'm sad that it all happened. But in the same instance, can we move forward? Can we now get to the point now that we know Let's get let's do what we need to do to not treat people like this. But the problem is, is that you're still treating people like this. So you haven't even gotten past that part yet. And it's it's sad. See, I'm not angry at any one person or any group of people in particular. But what made me so angry about reading this book is I knew the fabulous wealth that these enslaved people generated for this family the wealth that they created. They're living in slum conditions. They're living in worse than slum conditions. Yes. Yes. They got none of the benefit from all of the generations of effort that they that they expended ruining their bodies. Because I'm telling you, when she starts talking about the elderly people and their physical descriptions, if we have time and I and I read it, there there is the bit when she and Jack, Jack rose her over to it's either an island or another one of the properties that the Butler family owns, and they're surrounded by all these old women who are just dumped in this remote 
place in the middle of the woods who were brought from South Carolina. Though these the older women who were crones with their claws, those were Major Pierce Butler's people. Those those enslaved people who bless Excuse me. Those enslaved people will go back to John, Captain John Bull, Colonel Thomas Middleton, basically Major Butler's in laws. People Which he is coming to Edgefield. And it's even worse because he was never supposed to take them to Georgia. He didn't own them. They were left to his kids, but he decided, I'm going to take them to, to Georgia anyway. And the Middleton and the Bull families, and I know it's difficult to talk about with slavery, but they prided themselves that they kept their people together. These people have been kept together since the 1750s. We're now in the 1850s, and five years later, one of the biggest family breakups, we're talking 440 people out of nearly 900 people were sold. You know, the Middletons and the Bull were already horrified by what they were hearing coming out of Georgia. I and then it's just going to get even worse within, within five years. But the part that I keep coming back to is the wealth that these people created, the wealth that Pierce Meese Butler, their enslaver, squandered to the point where he made a bad bet and lost a ridiculous amount of money. And right. they had to sell them. And it was in no way these people's fault. Right. That's the bit that, that upsets me. Um, and then on page 25, and again, it's just getting a really interesting glimpse, or not, a, it's getting an educational glimpse into the organization of their labor. And she says, in here, it may be well to inform you that the slaves on this plantation are divided into field hands and mechanics or artisans. This made me think about your Yeldells, actually, the way that they kind the of The way that they it. treated theirs. So the former, the greater majority... Um, and these are the field hands, are the more stupid and brutish of the tribe. We're going to get oh, back. We're going to get oh. back. We're going to get back to that statement because I, I get what Fanny is saying. The former, the, the greater majority, are the more stupid and brutish of the tribe. The others, the house slaves, who are regularly, or the the tradespeople, who are regularly taught their trades, are not only exceedingly expert at them, but exhibit a greater general activity of intellect which must necessarily result from even a partial degree of cultivation. So my feeling in the book is I wince every time Fanny describes specifically the, the field workers as being brutish or stupid or lacking intellect until I actually realized that what she was really saying is they were made that way. Yep. That's exactly what she was saying because looking at Alex... Or Alexander, she's looking at him and she's like, this guy is, is everything. He can take care of what he needs to take care of. He can do what he needs to do. They don't have to be this way. Nope. That's the bottom line. They don't have to be like this. So I'm not understanding why they're like this. Like, she's just not getting it. She's like, this doesn't make sense to me. You can This whole book, I, I boil it down by saying, I get that her struggle seems to be she's got two, and she's got two, and she's trying to make them add up to be four. But it but just doesn't it add just up. It just doesn't add up. It doesn't add, that's exactly what it is. It doesn't add up to her. And, and she's just done, and it's just too much for... It's too much for her. Then, it's too much. She's like... What are y'all doing? Like, mm -hmm. she just... I don't know. 
Then there's another story in the book. It's actually somewhere around page 24 or 25. I don't know which. So basically, two enslaved men off their own back, in their own time, built a little wooden boat. And they sell this wooden boat for 60 bucks. I think it was to someone in Darien. Yeah, I it was, remember that. It was someone that was living not, not too far from them. So this is their own industry. They got their own wood. They built this boat and right. they sold it. Fanny's husband's not happy about this. He is not impressed at all. And he's definitely not happy that they got 60 bucks. 60 yeah. bucks. Never really, she never really goes into how that was resolved. Did he take the money? Did he let them keep the money? What happened with the money? And were they punished? Right. Um, speaking of punishments, that was the other rough bit. Was newly women who have just given birth. I couldn't watch it. I mean, I couldn't read. See how I said watch it? When I, when I tell you guys this was so vivid in my head that there were areas that I just, I just was like, okay, no, never mind. And I, I just couldn't read it. The beatings were rough. Yes. That was rough to read. But specifically with the either the women who were pregnant or who had just given birth, how do you whip a woman who's pregnant? Even if you see her as an animal, how do you whip a woman who's pregnant or has just given birth? The whole, everything about the whole arrangement of childcare was horrific. Because you were reading me in the car the passage about how ten year old girl, ten year old kids were, were looking the, after were, kids. We're the babysitters. We're looking after kids. So that's where Latchkey Keys kids came in. Mm-hmm. That's 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 where Latchkey Keys kids came from. It, because they had to take care of, mm-hmm. you know. The other rough bit was the age at which the enslaved girls were having kids. The fact that she, that Fanny estimated that they must have had between 10 to 12 kids by the time they were 20. Meaning that they started having children exactly when their period came. Pretty much. That's what it meant. That, that was rough going. And I had, as a man, I had never heard the term dropped womb before. Oh, you haven't? I hadn't. So... And that's something that kept popping up. All this post kind of, all the stress that all of these repeated pregnancies were taking Unfortunately, on their that's where their quote-unquote the father of gynecology, those were the things that he was working on, and he was literally killing black women in the process. Yeah, without any anesthesia. Without any anesthesia whatsoever. With torture implements. It was, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean... <laughs> I almost cursed, but um, the, I mean, the instruments that's used for women anyway, in my opinion, are torturous. I mean, you, you the speculum that, that. I ain't going to lie. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've been in the birthing room. I've been seeing the, seeing the miracle of birth itself, I mean, it's, and I've it's, looked at that tray going, are you kidding me with that? Yeah, it, it, it the, the speculum is, is a pain. It, it hurts. I don't care if you are a virgin or not a virgin. It hurts. Mm. It's uncomfortable. It's a very uncomfortable thing. And so they're they're already it's already torture type stuff. So again, that was um that was rough really rough reading, but it set something off in my head. It took me back to the eighteen the nineteen hundred census, where we're seeing a lot of women who had come out, you know, who had survived slavery, come out of slavery, um, were now well advanced in their years saying how many children they'd had in their life and how many were still living. 
And you were always seeing these discrepancies between those two numbers. Some would say that they had 10 kids, but five were living. Mm -hmm. Some had six kids and four were living. Mm -hmm. And you were thinking, well, you know, you're like 85 or getting up to 90 years old. Those are probably your adult children. I think that's what I thought at first. Right. Then I read this, and we were reading about the horrific child Mm -hmm. mortality Mm -hmm. levels going, oh, my God. That's probably part of the answer that I'm seeing, and that might wondering why is there's always this discri- why why is it that n- not all of your kids are alive right with you in 1900? I think this gives me a little bit of a clue. Yeah, into that. I mean, it does, and so for example, my when now when you bring that up, and my um my grandfather's mother, she. So according to my aunt, my grandfather came from a large number of kids, mm-hmm. but he did, but he didn't because by the time that, you know, you have the 1900 and the 1910 census that gives that information. And in 1900, she had eight children, but five were living by 1910. She had 10 children, but only six were living. So it lets you know that she lost four kids. Hmm. She either lost them or because sometimes that number in that 1900-1910, you're not really sure if they died. They just may not be there. True. So. True. That yeah. bothers me. So <laughs> I haven't found any. Where, where are they? Where are they? And, um, and who are they? And more than likely, if that's the case, then they're all females and I have no idea. <laughs> Woo. But anyway, that just caused a whole flash. But I mean. You know, those four children are gone. Are they gone because of physical issues? Um, were she, was she able to have the other? I mean, you know, it just gives you a myriad of things to think about when with that happening. Because, so. I'm, again, I'm, I'm thinking by the time you're 20, if you're already starting to experience severe kind of issues around birthing healthy children, mm-hmm. does that have what physical... For any children that survive, I'm trying to think of the best, trying to think of a medical way of putting this. Does that have implications for any future children that you're going to, that you're going to have? Are they going to have birth defects? Right. In other words. And that could be the cause of some of the birth defects of today. Just from you saying that, that actually could be a cause for some of the birth defects of today. You know, you just. Because let's face it, I mean. Pregnancy is a stress on a woman's body, and you're having you starting too young, having too many kids as as it is, not through any choice of your own, right? Because you're a slave, you can't cross your legs and say no. Right. I mean, I, it ain't it ain't happening. Right. Um, it's gonna happen. And you can try, and if you do do that, you're gonna get beat and still get raped in the process. It's gonna be brutal. Yep. It's actually gonna probably be worse. It's than, gonna be worse. So you may as well just. And I hate that. I have to, I'm not gonna. No, say and that. it just keeps. Like I said, the I can impic- I can just imagine the physical toll that that takes. And again, you see the proof of it with those elderly women and the way that they're the way that they're described. So there she's talking about the house. So how, what are the comments looking like? Well, we kind of got lost for a second, but um, it's back now, so I have to. The new comments are gonna have to come in, so we don't have those because it got it got lost. 
While you're looking at that, there's... But Shelly said, but back then, they did not have all the chemicals, etc., to the food like we have today. True. That's true. But it's still... It's, it's, I don't know. I'm, I don't know if y'all see it. I'm just... This book really got to me. And while you're looking for the comments, um, again, something that Fanny said that really resonates to me right now, and it's the, about the veracity of black people. Because, you know, we never, we, we never tell the truth. We always exaggerate. We and go. we always lie every single chance yes, we get. Yes, we just do that. That's the narrative. That's, that's who we spun. are. I'm going to read you something from, eight, from the 1850s page. that picks up on just that thing. So uh, this is page 120, and that's um, from my version. So Fanny Campbell is having a conversation with a very respected, we don't know who he is, we just know that he's um, a wealthy enslaver in Charleston, or from Charleston. So in the course of our visit, a discussion arose as to the credibility of any Negro assertion though indeed that could hardly be called a discussion that was simply a chorus of assenting opinions. So this gentleman is now telling her no Negro was to be believed on any occasion or any subject. 1850 or 2020, 2021, 2015? I mean, let's look at George Floyd. But I just want to keep that in mind because that's going to be really relevant with the next Mm -hmm. couple of sentences. No doubt they are habitual liars, for they are slaves. But there are some thrice honorable exceptions who, being slaves, are yet not liars. And certainly the vice results much more from the circumstances in which they are placed than from any natural tendency to untruth in their case. The truth is that they, meaning us, Mm -hmm. are always considered as false and deceitful, and it is very seldom that any special investigation of the facts of any particular case is, resort, is resorted to in their behalf. Again, police violence towards African American. Not a newsflash. Our people have been speaking about that forever. Forever. But it actually took a very brave teenage black girl to, to actually to video. video a knee on George Floyd's neck to make the rest of America wake up. And see that we were indeed telling the truth. But the thing is, is that I had a, um, there was a discussion on the This Is Us show. Because This Is Us approached that. They mm-hmm. talked about that. And so people on the, the This Is Us Facebook page, they were kind of angry. That that had been, you know, put up there. Why would they do this? And this, that, and the third. Well, I, I told them, I'm like, first of all, y'all need to understand that this was a lynching on TV. One lady said, how do you call that a lynching? I said, have you ever seen lynching pictures? The bulging eyes, the foaming of the mouth, all of that happened to him on that ground because he was suffocated. There is a type of suffocation that he went through. And there is a group of white people who feel as though they have their permission to be able to do what Chauvin did. I don't even, I'm not even, we're, Mm -hmm. that'll have me cussing on here. So... I, you know, but because once I explained it and I pointed that out to her and I even went a step further and sent her pictures, I said, this was his face. She was done. She couldn't say, I love catching people 
like that because that's what this was. So it had to be done. And then I told him in the thing, I said, but here's the catch. Here's the kicker. It ain't like you don't know this. We've told you time and time again that this has been going on and you chose not to listen. You chose to find some other way to deal with it. You chose to just pretend like it didn't happen and it was actually right for them to do those things that they're doing. Now you see, it's not right. It's not right at all. So, Because really, I guess for my generation, and that's the 50-somethings, I became aware, I think my parents did their best to sh- try to shield me from that because clearly it was going on much be- long before Rodney King. Mm-hmm. But I was a teenager when Rodney King happened. Mm-hmm. There was no shielding. I was watching the news. There's no shielding. It's, you can't shield that. You can't shield that. You can't shield that. So I'm saying for my generation, specifically again for non-black people, this has been a thing since Rodney King. So this, in no way, the, beat, the beating of unarmed black people, and I'm going to say people, it's always focused on men. People. It's people. Has never been a new thing. Ever. Never. Been a new thing. And in modern times, if you're like me, an American, lived in this country um, in the 80s, since Rodney King, no excuse. Yeah. It, I mean, it's, and it's before, I mean, we found it in, in several of our research and things of how mm-hmm. Essex Harrison. I mean, people, Eliza Good. I mean, these people, their names are actually listed on the lynching, at the lynching museum. And what, because Takanya pointed that out to me. She she took pictures for me and everything. And there's a whole plaque of, um, of people who were killed. Oh, 1898. And I told her, I said, those people died in the Phoenix riot. And she was like, you're kidding me. I lied to you not. Every last one of them died in the people. It was like six names. Mm -hmm. Six names. And they were considered being lynched. So Essex wasn't lynched. He was just beaten, killed, and shot to death and left on the ground. So he wasn't physically lynched. So that goes back to George Floyd. I'm going to say in a way he was because he knew what was coming. He was the last one of that group that they killed. Okay. So he knew his number was up. Right. And that's a men- that's mental torture. But that's mental. That's, that's mental that's lynching. mental torture. Yeah. But I mean to say that he was physically strung up. He no, wasn't. That, that, that did that not did happen. happen and no. that's what I was trying to pull a, pull out. If these people at this mu- at the lynching museum can consider someone like him being lynched and that's why his name is there then why can't you consider George Floyd being lynched on TV? That's what happened. He, we saw mm-hmm. him being lynched. So, you know, this, this book, guys, is a very, very good book. Um, I'm going to say that if you are researching people held by the Middleton, Bull, and Butler families, it's a must-read. Um, there is some stunning, genealogically really useful information that that family provides as i said before in some cases this is the only way this is the only means i have of knowing what certain people looked like how they came across right. how they were perceived the things and the things that they were doing i'm not gonna lie it is rough rough reading it is this one is is rough this one is really rough um i'm so, i'm so sorry that this is scott's family 
like that. I almost cried. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I almost cried. So, um, Shelly said, that's it. No more excuses for not knowing. And I, I mean, it isn't any excuses for not knowing. And, um, and fight those who want to keep other I get it. Some people just aren't going to be up for this and they don't want to know and they want to pretend that this never happened. But for the rest of us, do not let people in power erase this history. Do not let them do a Fahrenheit 451 book burning about anything dealing with slavery so that they can then re-re-spin the history that they've already spun once before. Yeah, yeah. That's why I think books like this are, are so... I mean, one, for, from a research point, point of view, priceless, but from a social point of view and our historical point of view, so important. Yeah. I just reposted our reading room link. There are a lot of books in there that you guys need to look at. There are a lot of books in there that you guys need to fight to keep. We all need to fight to keep these books because um, they're important. And the majority of them are actually first-hand accounts. Yeah. So when people tell you, and that's the other thing that irritates me, because this book was written in 1838 to 1839. Um, Charlotte's book, 1890. Well, actually, it was written before 1890. It was a a series of of, um, journals in a newspaper at first, Mm. and then they put the book together. But my point is, the WPA slave narratives was not the first to do it. No. That's my overall no. thing. <laughs> the, the, the WPA slave narratives came almost 100 years later. And, I mean, these 75 to 100 years later. And, and so for people to come off and just actually, for them to have the audacity to say that they were the first to do it, it's, it's an audacity at this point. Because these stories are here, sitting here, and... And you're ignoring them. And then not only that, another thing that people need to realize about the WPA slave narratives is they didn't speak like that. No. The way it was written, they did not speak in that manner. Gotta know that. Gotta know that. And the broken English, in, in the, I can't even... I'm. Because oh. it's one thing to have an accent. And I get, you know, you may want to get the mm-hmm. kind of patois, the kind of color, the, the accent across. They created almost, the WPA created almost a, a fake language. Almost definitely. Almost definitely. And what's, what's even more sad, and I don't know if, I've, I've, I think I said this to you back in the day, but did you guys know that immigrants who come to become Americans, they become to be, you know, legal Americans. They have this book and they, they're being taught in this book. Inside that book, Ebonics is thought of as our native language. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm not lying, Afiba. <laughs> I hear you, but I'm not lying. And the way I found this out is because I was going somewhere or whatever and I was in. It was either an Uber or a cab, one or the other, but it was that type of transportation. And I saw his book. And That's right. You showed it to me. And it it was a book. It's this it's a it's an actual teaching book. book and yeah. I will share it. I still had a picture on my page on mm-hmm. my Facebook page. And um he he was asking me, he said, Can I ask you a question? And I said, Sure. And he was like, Um, I wanted to know, do you speak the way you speak now when you're at home? 
I was like, excuse me? Now, mind you guys, I have the, I love you, mom. But my mother, if that, if he had said that to her, her nose would have gone outside of the car because my mom's head would have gone so far up. Like, what are you talking about? And I actually kind of turned into her because he, I, when he said it, I was like, excuse me, what are you, what? And he said, no, 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 because, you know, do you speak the same language at home as you do this English language that you're talking now? Sir, I, I'm, I'm, I'm American. That's what I speak. I speak English. And then he had to show me exactly what he was talking about. And I was blown. Like Ebonics is our language. It's how we speak. That's 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 our language. Ooh, you talk about mm. Mm. I was just mm, I was floored. <laughs> but that's what it is. You know, these are the things that so like you said, it is a made up language. It is made up. We do not you know, I'm just supposed to go in front of my children and say, don't be doing all that. Okay, that's D.C. Mm-hmm. That's D.C. But I, I, you know. But again, you know, there's regional differences. This Some is. Peop- this. I, this. This is. Some <sighs> people refer to a can of cold beverage as soda. Others refer to it as pop. pop. Others will refer to it as cola, whether it's actually Coca-Cola or, or Pepsi or Pepsi or ginger ale. Or ginger ale. It don't matter. It, does, it doesn't matter. Just give me a cola. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's... Mm. So, you know, even that's different. So, I, I remember you told me that and then you sent me the, 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 cop, the link to the book and I was just blown. Yeah, because the book... And it's a real book. It's what they learned from because he had it. He had it in his car. He was studying to become an American. Mm-hmm. So it's not like it was, you know. I just want to know when we get to when we get to get to the place where we can tell our own truth and our own narrative. Oh, we're there. You and I are. Oh yeah. All yeah, we keep it. Real. We do we we do we do it every Sunday at four PM. We mm-hmm. keep, we we do it every Sunday. Now if somebody just pick it up and take it to the next level, we would love that. Because we have no cut cards with that. And we don't no, have a problem mm-hmm. discussing that. And and we don't have a problem sitting at, like, do you think we could do, okay, I couldn't, but <laughs> do you think we could sit with someone who thinks opposite of us? That That's a really tough question. My answer would, and I don't even know how you would gauge it, if they were willing to have an, an honest, an open, open disc, free exchange right. of, of ideas right. and would be willing to hear and think about what we're saying i would okay but if they're gonna come at me like some of the people in capitol hill with that nonsense yeah i'm yeah we're gonna have to because it's gonna be a waste of time it would be a waste nothing nothing would be gay because you want me to have an open mind but you don't have an open mind that's not gonna work and that's been the reality of black people in america since 16 the 1600s and i'm just not up for that yeah we're not that people we are not those people no we're not those people we're not and 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 that's not and i'm and I think our ancestors are proud that we're not those people because we don't forget them. We know that we come from them. We know that our strength is because of them. And the more we read, we and the more we read, we, dis- right. we understand what they survived and how strong they and were. how strong they actually were. So I don't want people to think that I'm saying I'm not my ancestor because yeah. I am. And acknowledging I hate to use this word in this context, but we acknowledge the privilege that we have that they didn't. Exactly. Exactly. 
Well, you guys, it's five o'clock. And I think I'm kind of glad because this book hurts me. <laughs> this book hurts me. And, um, but say, I want you to read it. This is the reason why I have to walk away from the Weeping Time research after about two or three months because it psychically, it gets to me. It really does. And I, it takes me a good eight to 10 weeks just to be able to shake it off, walk it off. That's why I didn't do it with come you. Back. That's why I didn't do it with you. Because so. it's rough research. Yeah. It is rough research, but rewarding. Yeah. You know, I keep thinking about the end goal and to be able to fully tell their story from the first Africans that were brought to Charleston, South Carolina in Barclay County. Yeah. Down to the sale in 1859, down to those people's living descendants. Yeah. That's what keeps me going. And then the other thing is, is that no, these books also have a way of helping you with your research. Mm-hmm. Because like it just did, you know, Alex, you mm-hmm. didn't know that that was his name. I didn't know that he was Mary's brother. I mean, he didn't know yeah, that he was, he was Mary's, Mary's brother, brother, so you didn't, you didn't, you couldn't connect, you didn't connect the two until, until read. he read that. So there's always some type of nugget in these kind of books to help you move forward, to help you learn what it is that you need to know about something, especially if you're researching that particular area, mm-hmm. that particular person, that particular time period, what have you. Or when she's calling out her husband, when her husband's grandfather as the original enslaver of some of these really old people that even though she never named the old the elderly women that was a huge help right um because i've got a specific number of people to to look for right so guys i've posted the um reading room back in the comments and check out those books in our reading room and then also guess what next sunday is our last show for the season Yay! <laughs> we're tired. <laughs> so we're going to be doing a season wrap up featuring our kind of best best bits. Yeah. So why don't you? This is something that we could do. So why don't you guys send us a message and tell us what your favorite show was, or what what favorite part of your favorite? Show. Right. Right. We will be showing clips. Yeah, we will be showing clips. So let us know what your favorite part of a show or one of your favorite shows might have been. You can find them all on Genea- on um, the Genealogy Adventures YouTube page mm-hmm. or on the Genealogy Adventures Facebook page under videos. They're all listed there. So, yeah, you guys do something like that and then help us wrap up for this season. And we'll be back September 26th. Mm-hmm. Not going to tell you with who. <laughs> but we'll be we'll be back. Um, but yeah, next Sunday is our last before we go into reruns. Yes. So yeah, but thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much. Um, continue leaving your comments about the book because I'm I would just love to read them. Just yes. To, to love what you you know to to learn about what you guys made of it. Um. Thank you as always for spending your your Sunday with us. Yes. And until next week. I'm Brian Sheffy. And I'm Donya Williams. See you guys. Have a good weekend.